2: Word season 9 episode 30. Shout out to everybody has been watching, shout out to everybody has been supporting. We're in the month of November, so you already know what that is. This is our 7th annual turkey drive. Shout out to everybody that has helped us throughout these years with this turkey drive and shout out to all the people that have supported our turkey drive and will continue to support the turkey drive. So this year everybody, the flyer will be up soon for our annual turkey drive. Um, last year we gave away over 200 turkeys this year. You want to do another 200 so you can always support um, Cash app is dollar sign the real word Inc. That's dollar sign the real word Inc Or PayPal the real world ministries Inc on the PayPal giving fund That's the real world ministries Inc You can also do it on GoFundMe the real world ministries on GoFundMe or our website at www.therealworldministriesinc.org I'm here with three special guests. Introduce yourself, gentlemen. I'm Scott Homan. I directed a movie called Witness Underground.
3: We're here because we have a Kickstarter and we have our co-producer and the main subject of our film here. Go ahead,
0: guys. Anthony, uh, can you want to go next? I, I can go last, or I guess I'm okay, already you talking. you go to last. Hi, I'm Anthony, I'm Athenia. I'm co-producer on the Witness
4: Underground documentary. I'm also a producer on documentaries by Outlaw Film. And you can check out on 2B right now uh, another film I worked on, it's called Nightlife. It's about a ministry uh, presence in St. Louis and violent in, violence interruptions.
0: So that's Nightlife on 2B. And I'll push it over to Ryan. And I am Ryan Sutter, uh, I am the uh, uh, owner-operator of a media production company called Nuclear Gopher. Um, I'm one of the subjects of the Witness Underground documentary, and uh, yeah, I'm also a recording artist. Yeah, all of us are musicians, or have been, and do creative work of many kinds. The film is about a group of musicians inside of a high-control religion who use
3: self-expression to find their voice and use critical thinking and eventually leave that faith group. And the movie delves into what happens when, when that happens and then sort of landing on the outside of that community.
2: So what's the faith group? Jehovah's Witnesses. Were Were you guys Jehovah's Witnesses? Yes. All that's, three of you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's,
4: that's how we know each other um, was that back in the day uh, Ryan, who's with us, he set up a indie record label, which he can talk more about, called Nuclear Gopher. And that, that was a way a lot of us creative, weirdo, Jehovah's Witness kids that uh, maybe didn't always fit in in the church setting could find a, a home uh, where our, our our creative expression, be it music or art or filmmaking, was championed. And I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today doing the things I'm doing if it wasn't for what uh,
0: Ryan and them started back as as kids. Mm. Yeah, Nuclear Gopher came out of my family um, initially. Uh, my whole family is made up of musicians, and that uh, was just kind of what we did as kids. And when we were able to bring it online, uh, like really early internet, like mid-90s, we, we discovered there were all these other Jehovah's Witness kids who also wanted to make music, and it uh, sort of took on the itself.
2: So let me ask you guys a question, right? So the kind of music you guys make is not accepted in the Jehovah's Witness Church?
0: That wasn't really ever a problem. Um, We generally, you know, we're able to make whatever music we want. I mean, there's not a ton of, you know, well-known Jehovah's Witness musicians, but, you know, like Larry Graham and Prince are both local to us because we're in the Twin Cities area and um, Larry Graham was in... uh, uh Sly and the Family Stone and Graham Central Station and he's, a, he's an elder out in the Mount Congregation. So oh. it's uh, not completely unprecedented. Um, we generally weren't making music that would cause any trouble. Like uh, some people might occasionally get a little uh, bent out of shape. Uh, we had a couple of cases where like, you know, a band was a little too loud or a little too distorted at a party and somebody, some elder kind of pulled a plug or got a little upset, but mostly we were pretty good at keeping it um, keeping it uh, within acceptable boundaries because we all kind of wanted to continue to do our uh, religion and continue to, um, we all wanted to make it through the end of the world, all the Armageddon and everything, but we also wanted to make music and we all felt a little bit like we were just culturally out of step with our congregations. Mm -hmm. Um, But but yeah, we weren't really Rocking the boat too much. Scott probably rocked the boat a little bit more than the rest. Uh, <laughs> the rest of, of the of us did back in the day.
2: Mm. So, are you guys still Jehovah Witnesses or no longer Jehovah Witnesses?
0: Definitely no. not. Long oh. way out.
2: Mm. You too, Anthony. You can tell because we
0: have facial hair. Oh.
2: Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah, we all have beards. Okay. Uh, so the the thing about it is, it's like kind of the central like emotional storyline. Of this documentary, yes, it's about the music and what we all experience as kids, but it's also about the fallout, the traumatic fallout that comes when you decide, well, maybe you don't believe this anymore. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: And in those cases, you know, you're in a situation, then in leaving, that means you're going to be estranged from all your family, all your friends, your bands are going to break up, your life starts over. And how does it start over, you know? And it's about that creative expression that.
2: And, and making powerful art that kind of gets you through. Mm. So, at one point in my life, I dated a girl that, I guess you could say, deflected from the Jehovah Witness Church or left the Jehovah Witness Church. And nice. she hated religious people. Like, she would be so upset whenever religion or church or anything like that was mentioned. And she was like that was because of everything that happened to her when she was growing up in the Jehovah Witness church. And it, the way she described it, it was almost traumatic in a sense. And she was just like, oh, I hate that church. I hate that church. I hate that church. Um, what about that church brings out those feelings and emotions do you guys feel?
3: I would say the film dives into exactly why. And that is everyone who gets out of that religion leaves or is kicked out walks away whatever the situation they get cut off from their family through shunning it's a very extreme form of emotional abuse where you just don't ever talk to your family or they just won't ever talk to you again Mm. and the film dives into how that works the we demonstrate that in the film through one person's story and he's here ryan sutter
2: so ryan you were shamed out of your family or shunned out of your family
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was, the when I started expressing that I didn't conform to the Watchtower beliefs and started saying that I, you know, I, I, that I wasn't going to uh, stay on as a witness. Every member of my family cut me off. Um, in the last 20 years I've only seen them a handful of times. Uh, and they're, it's not so much a choice it's it's kind of enforced the um the Jehovah's Witnesses are uh essentially both a religion and also kind of a little bit of a business there is a publishing company called the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society and they publish all the literature and that's what all the witnesses believe and the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society has very severe uh, mandated Requirements that if, if somebody leaves, you're not allowed to talk to them under penalty of your own potential punishment. So um, it's uh, if you get seen having dinner with me, for example, if my dad saw me or, you know, uh, had dinner with me and somebody saw that he could get in trouble. By who? And he could get kicked out yes. by the other Jehovah's Witnesses.
2: Like when you say Maybe trouble. Out. Okay. But like when. Okay. What's the benefits of being a Jehovah's Witness? Good question.
3: I, I was born into it, so I know we have trust. So I
4: prefer that. Um, the the benefits I don't know. I I speak to why it appeals to people. Mm-hmm. Um, it appeals to them because you know it gives them a sense of community, um, a form of love. You know, a group where as long as they are Jehovah's Witnesses in good standing, they can be welcomed. Basically, by other Jehovah's Witnesses all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, as a Jehovah's Witness, those were the things that I valued. So it was kind of nice where I could be growing up in St. Louis as a musician and travel up to Minneapolis and uh, play a, a, a festival, a rock festival, with Ryan. And because, you know, we were all Jehovah's Witnesses. but. When you get kicked out, you realize that community—these uh, people you thought loved you—when um, they just immediately no longer talk to you—you you kind of see how it was maybe a, more of an illusion of community and family and love than um, what the actuality of it is. Mm.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a sense of um, the witnesses very much believe that they, that they are the only true religion. Um, mm. All other Christianity of any other stripe or flavor is false religion and the and anybody even even other christians like other other people you would think they would be fairly well aligned with maybe with some doctrinal differences they would consider worldly or outside so they treat themselves and each other with a lot of love and a lot of like you can like anthony just said you know i remember uh my brother going on a uh, his honeymoon he went to Jamaica and he didn't stay at a resort he stayed with a local family he had never met because as soon as he showed up at the Kingdom Hall they just put him up and it's there's a sign sort of sort of that global feeling of like kind of brotherhood and sisterhood among all Jehovah's Witnesses from all countries they, they don't they don't they don't take up arms in military uh, uh, wars or anything, they're all conscientious objectors, so no witnesses are ever shooting other witnesses, so the gut, that's how they get people to feel very committed because they create a very closed space and a very like, uh, connected space where you feel like everybody who is a fellow witness is a fellow of extended family member. The downside to that is anybody who isn't a fellow witness is kind of an enemy and, um, that, uh, there's a lot of, you know, it's still just people. So there's still a lot of things that go go on in the world of the witnesses that are, that are really bad. I mean, there's there's people who die from not taking blood transfusions. There's a lot of child sex abuse. There's a lot of things inside of that organization, and it's um, it's traumatizing, I think, for a lot of people. But I don't think there's anything calling. that really gives you mm-hmm. that you couldn't get in any other church setting. If you know the people in your congregation of uh, Lutherans or Baptists or whatever, you can still love each other, right? Like I, I think the witnesses uh, oversell that that's really special or uh, unique, uh, but I think that's what gets people to stay is they create a community and a family there, and and that's also the fear. Because um, if you leave, you don't know anybody who's not a witness. You're not close to anybody who's not a witness. You're not even close to your own family members if they're not witnesses. So it creates a, a real disincentive to question anything or to go out. Hmm.
2: It, it almost sounds like a gang in a sense. Um, I personally, I grew up in something similar. Um, it's called the Seven Day Adventist. I don't know if you guys are familiar with these guys.
0: The witnesses are actually an adventist offshoot. So yeah, they're very closely
2: related. Exactly. And like you said, the the sense of, you know, community and unity and you know, wherever you go, they say, Okay, yeah, we share the same religion as you, we do the same thing as you, but same thing you said, then everybody else is an enemy. It's like, Oh, don't talk to this person, don't talk to that person Then they want you to marry within that religion and raise your children up in there and even when You know, like you said, things happen because there's humans involved. But with those type of situations, they oftentimes like to sweep things under a rug and pretend like certain things don't happen because of the image of the brand to stay clean. So they like to have those perfect clean images. And I feel like that's what traumatizes the people involved because they have to pretend like it never happened. And sometimes there's a lot of traumatic things that happens in these churches and in these groups that's covered by, you know, the brand. So what do you guys think about that?
3: I think you said it perfectly, that all checks out with the Jehovah's Witnesses too. The protecting of their image is the number one thing. They litigate against a lot of like They know that there's a problem in their religion. They're fighting battles in court in many, many countries constantly, and they are just trying to protect their image and say like it didn't happen, but like you just but then they pay forty million dollars to the victim every year or ten million dollars or eight million dollars or seven hundred thousand dollars or whatever the number is. And there's class action lawsuits and there's like fourteen Jeffers rapists on trial in Pennsylvania right now. Um all simultaneously there was another one but he killed himself the day the cops came to get him like and then the religion's like they don't want this news out there. And so they cover it and they pay off hush money and, and they settle out of court constantly.
4: Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty extreme, like our our film focuses on the shunning aspect of it, but like probably one of the most egregious things is this uh, child sex abuse that goes on within the church, and it's often covered up, it's, the police are not involved because, as you said, it has to protect the image of the brand, uh, there's an impetus to keep these things secret, and it, it allows a lot of bad things to go on. And I'll be straight up to say, I'm shocked if I meet a former witness that hasn't experienced some kind of uh, child sex assault or knows firsthand somebody who does, because it's a common experience uh, when I talk to other Jehovah's Witnesses, it's been a common experience within um, my own congregations, within my families. I mean, it's a major, major thing that gets swept under the rug because of... it's paramount to portray the religion as, basically, a God's organization on Earth. Basically, a human paradise on Earth.
2: Mm. You know, all of us that grew up in these religious households and, you know, especially those that inherited a religion and wasn't able to pick it, we oftentimes go through life defending this religion. And, you know, that's part of being a part of a religion is defending your faith. Um, But then sometimes we find parts of our religion that at times could be contradictory to our beliefs or even to common sense. And then, like you said, there comes a shunning aspect that you feel alienated. So how what advice would you have to a young person on how to deal with that? like no longer being part of a community or dealing with the shunning you brought up a couple interesting things one is like part of your faith is defending
3: it um almost like a tribalism like my tribe versus your tribe my my religion is better than your religion or my religion is valuable for some reason and it it's valuable in society we need it to be around i'm part of it that kind of tribalism um is interesting that's from like a social anthropologic sense and you see it happen with sports teams, for example. Like, I will always fight for the Jets or whatever the team is, right? Um, and and but the shunning, I mean, the, it's, a, it's a big decision to make to walk away from a community. And it's not easy. Um, but one of the things our film demonstrates is people who have, have we've humanized the, the religious experience. And then you, we show how someone has, a couple of different people have sort of, logically and emotionally and like, They've done the research to like, and they found that this wasn't for them, or they, they didn't believe in God anymore, or they they don't believe exactly what the religion teaches, and you kind of have to believe everything, or you're not one of them. And it's like you have to, then you're, then you're alone in the religion. Even though you have a community, you're alone there. So um, it can be really difficult, and a lot of people have challenges for years trying to figure out what to do and like keeping secrets from their own lover, or their family, or their, their loved ones, or community. Um, because they don't want to be outed as someone who thinks differently than the group, the main group, and that can be challenging. Leaving is also challenging because then you're like actually separate. Um, but there's we wanted to show in the film, and I think we do a good job demonstrating a group of people who who found a path to um, to get past that difficult stage and then have a valuable life after that, even though it's challenging. It's we're not saying it's not challenging. Um, it's one of the Best things I've done for my life, and it's not for everybody. But yeah, hmm. watch the movie. Yeah, you know, anybody
4: who's going through um, that kind of separation, the mm-hmm. shunning—I mean, I can't lie. It's going to be tough. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard. But I think the power of the witness underground documentary is—is is it shows a way that you know you don't have to self-destruct. Um, you can figure out what your passions are in life, and now that you have the freedom to pursue them, you can dive into those passions and, you know, find new people and, and new friends and new collaborators that are going to help you achieve your dreams that have, been, that have been put on hold in your life. So, I think, I think that's the advice I would give. I, mean, I, I think, like, Witness Underground, um, just as Scott says, really kind of, it doesn't just point the finger and say, oh, this religion's bad that it kind of shows you a way through it uh, to a life that's definitely more free and a lot more healthy, in my opinion. And I think it's, it,
2: it just does a great job. So, Ryan, as someone that actually went through the situation, how did you deal with the shunning and the alienation?
0: Um. Well, there was a lot of sort of resetting every expectation I had. When I left the religion, my wife left, my family cut me off, uh, I lost my record label and community, but I still had my son. Um, And so I had a person in my life who um, did not shun me or cut me off or anything. And in fact, he was like nine years old at the time, and I remember telling him, And he was just like, oh, I was wondering when you were going to stop being a witness, basically. (laughs) Um, So what was great was uh, um, I had a motivation to um, understand what I really stood for and understand what I really believed for him. And that that was enough of a lifeline that I was able to meet new people, I was able to make new friends, I did a lot of writing, I did a lot of therapy, I did a lot of reading. I attended some other uh, churches just to see what was out there and become familiar with the world that I hadn't known about. And it it was a really intentional and very um, intense, like, two to four years of mental deprogramming and mental reprogramming and, uh, and you know now I have uh, and, and what was great was in, in doing that I did a lot of that where I actually posted things online and blogged about what I was exploring and what I was learning and that actually ultimately helped lead to other people coming out as well um, from my old, old uh, community. So I started regaining some of the people from the past some of whom are in this documentary. Um, I started uh, uh, making new friends. Uh, I met a new person, uh, love interest, and we dated and we got married and we've been together now for like 17, 18 years. Um, So, you know, it was really devastating and I didn't get um, an easy ride out of it and I never really did get my main core family members back, but I, I made music. I recorded a bunch of albums. Um, I went to therapy. I did a lot of writing and I did a lot of reading and I gave it time. And you know, uh, it, it ultimately like there was a time about five or six years after I had left the Witnesses and I was I was actually in the basement having a recording session with uh, with Eric and Cindy who are uh, in the band High TV in the movie and. Uh, we were downstairs working on actually some of the earlier high TV stuff and the doorbell rang and I went upstairs and it was a Jehovah's witness sister and uh, she was uh, she didn't recognize me because I had grown a beard and she hadn't seen me in a few years since she was a little older but I, I sort of she started showing me the Watchtower and wake, and she said so uh, you know are you familiar with these magazines and I said yes sister uh, I." Uh I don't know if you recognize me, but I'm Ryan Sutter in your congregation until a few years back. And uh, I, um, I, 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 I hope you guys are having a great day going door to door, but you know, I'm not a witness anymore. And she looked a little taken aback, and she said, do you think you found something better? And that, nobody had ever asked me that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was just this huge moment for me to be like, yeah, this is better. This is way better. I mean, it was like hard. But if a witness comes to my door and asks me flat out, do you think your life's better now? The answer was just duh, of course. Want it's me to better. leave. <laughs> um hardcore disagreements and uh, with the witnesses' teachings about science ecosystems, they're they're kind of a um, literal creationist read on the Bible, and um, I they, they believe like specifically that Noah's Flood took place at a certain point in time, and, and that it was global, and blah, 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 and when I first learned about some of the evidence that would contradict that, and, and start thinking about like how ecosystems would have not been able to function according to the way the Witnesses interpret the Garden of Eden, and some of those other specific things. It just got me to start thinking about being a little more critically analytical of my beliefs, and um, it didn't mean right off the bat that I was going to throw everything out, you know, chuck it all, but it made me get curious enough to do research and start to really look into um, the Bible, look into what it actually says in its original languages, parts of it that are not historically true according to archaeology or science, and which things are, you know, and kind of working all that out for myself instead of taking it as given by the Watchtower Society. And I think in a lot of religions you could have done that and stayed in. You know, like if if I was raised in the Methodists and I had my own interpretations of things, they're not going to boot me out for the rest of my life, but in the world of the witnesses, you can't question or doubt anything. You have to take everything they teach as exactly as they say. And if you think they're wrong about something, uh, it becomes a real problem. And so I discovered things I thought they were right about, and things I thought they were wrong about, and then I couldn't, I couldn't square it. You know, I couldn't go door to door and risk my life over a blood transfusion, or tell my son this was all the inerrant word, when i knew things were wrong uh so it was it just started that way and it sort of tumbled beyond that um not to get too much into where i wound up in terms of my own beliefs but but it started with questioning
2: Mm. do you believe in anything or practice anything now
0: i'm sort of a agnostic buddhist Uh, like i i do i do buddhist practice i don't I'm, I'm I'm very open on the question of whether there is a supernatural i don't worry about if there is or isn't at the moment because mm-hmm. i figure i can find that out someday if i die or something so i i'm, I'm pretty neutral on that i don't attend any church
2: mm-hmm. so what about the rest of you are you guys buddhist too
3: i would i use the word dharmic maybe more because what does that mean? represents like thousands
0: plus years of different versions of it and there's wars fought like there's a war right now with buddhists versus
3: islam and they're killing people so,
2: buddhist versus islam and,
3: yeah and in, in bangladesh like oh. six years ago like they ousted a million um, islamic people because they're converted of their religion into from Myanmar in bangladesh and oh. there's a huge like problem with human trafficking there now because of it anyways oh. the buddhists aren't exactly like all perfect um, mm. all the time, but like the dharmic practice is about like looking inward to your subconscious using meditation like standard stuff you've probably heard about or done at yoga if you've gone to yoga class ever mm. um, Just normal stuff about breathing and like paying attention to what your thoughts are doing. I do that and I value that. I think it's helpful um, for learning what's go- how your brain actually works and how your subconscious chatter is um, how you can change that. Rewrite your own sort of operating system using some methods that are valuable to like making your life better now and in the future.
2: Mm. And why you left the church, Scott?
3: Um, Actually, so I directed the film and it follows Ryan's story. Ryan just kind of describes some of it. Um, I had a very similar experience as Ryan for very similar reasons. And that's one of the things I loved about including his project because, I'm including his story in the film. Is because I had a, such a similar thing. It was almost like including all the things that are included in the film are like little pieces of my story, being a musician in the religion. Uh, I'm not in the movie at all. But we follow a whole, like a, not just a band or like a person. We follow like an entire community of musicians as they kind of um, push on the boundaries of the religion, and um, they have their different reasons for leaving the religion and, and how that all happens and what the rollout is from that. And I have those same experiences. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very much on the terms of how, what what is the cognitive dissonance? It's an important term. And I think you kind of brought it up earlier, like having differences of opinion or belief than what your religion teaches, but still being part of that religion. Like how do you square the two? Like Ryan was challenged with that. Like, he found it, he didn't want to stay in that term, turbulence of it. And I had a similar thing. And it was like reading physics and reading about science and reading about history and geology and archeology span and like the stuff I was reading, that so the, the experts in the planet, millions of people were not corroborating the story that the religion was teaching. And like living with those two different completely incompatible ideas became too much over time. And I eventually was like, well, the one that is backed up by thousands, if not millions, of different reports on data, I, I'm gonna stick with that one because the one about the from the Bible or from this religion specifically, it doesn't add up at There is no evidence that
2: let me ask you two yeah, I think questions. How to differentiate the Bible versus what they teach because they have their own interpretation. So, so let me ask Scott two questions, right? Scott said that um, he, he refers to all these reports that were previously printed and all the people who have testified that the things in the Bible are probably not true. But let's say on the other side, right? If we're just to play the other side, we can ask ourselves how many times has the Bible been published? How many preachers have there been throughout history how many people have preached the word of god and how many christians or you know whether they're jehovah witnesses or baptists or jewish or whatever it is that's preaching the same doctrine like how many of them have come across you know so i think there's people fighting for for each side and i feel like they have their own reasons for fighting it, and that's why we're asking for your reasons why you guys are against it. It's not so much that I of us are against it, it's more of that, I speak for myself, I'm not against a religion or a Bible, I just don't
3: think it's as valuable as I used to, and I definitely don't think, I, I don't really use it in my life. I mean, it's a collection of literature, like Bible. It's from Biblioteca. It's a library of books, sixty-six books, and it was the books that somebody thought was a great collection. And they put them together. Like there are other books too. I, I, I find have more value than that collection of books. And I think society also does that. We have amazing libraries across the world filled with other kinds of knowledge that are not that. And, you know, a lot, a lot of it's in the Bibles based in Greek mythology, like a lot of the New Testament's based in Homer and the Iliads there's an actual mythology. Like uh, the, um, wow, what's the deity from Egyptian mythology? Um, Horus. Like Egypt, Horus. Horus, like the supernatural stuff that Jesus does. Horus did a lot of that stuff and said like, well where did they draw that from? Is it did actually Jesus do that or is it actually a Horus thing? Like just questioning that and looking into it, I'm not saying it's invalid, invalidates the entire collection of literature, uh, but there's new literature. Like We could have another book added to the Bible that maybe like included how evolution works, and just one page from Wikipedia might
0: do the trick, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's very, we tried real hard with the documentary not to make this a, a religious debate, because as we're all, I think we're all in agreement um, amongst ourselves, that the important part is to be free to learn what you believe. Yeah, of course, your own, your own research, your own, your own, you know, conscious meditation, your own, uh, it's your path, it's your life, you have to live it, you're responsible, ultimately, for what you do with it. And, And <clears throat> there's a line in a Jehovah's Witness song that says, we must act together as one, independence wisely we shun, harmony and oneness of mind bring peace of rarest kind. The, the it, It's really creepy when you think about that. Like It's basically like we have to all think the same thoughts, we have to all read the same things, we have to all be in the same place. And that was part of why part of my like, deconversion from the lot are involved going to different churches and talking to different people and hearing what they believed and hearing what they had to say. And the one thing I committed myself to, and I continue to do, is that I don't judge anybody for their beliefs, as long as they're not hurting other people with what they're believing. Um, I, including the witnesses like I wouldn't i say it in the documentary if, if they just had some beliefs that I didn't agree with or didn't share But they didn't treat people badly. I wouldn't worry about it um, I have friends who are of all sorts of different religious perspectives and beliefs and the one thing we don't do argue religion amongst each other because it doesn't benefit us, but if we can discuss it and talk about where we feel uh, things make sense and where we align. Then I'm always happy to have those conversations. I enjoy them, but I, I don't like the debating, and I don't. And, and the documentary doesn't go real far into like, okay, here's why this or that with the with the Watchtower teachings, because it's just it's not a super productive thing to do, and it doesn't really help people. Connect on their shared humanity and connect on their like develop mutual respect for each other And I think that's the thing that personally is my goal with this documentary is I want people to Respect other people's freedom of conscience. I want people to respect other people's freedom of belief And to be able to allow that to happen and that's not something that's allowed inside this particular religion
2: Mm -hmm. So Anthony Let's ask you, because we haven't heard from you. Um, What was the reason why you left the Jehovah's Witness Church? You're on mute. You're on mute, Anthony. Anthony, you're on mute. There we go. Sorry.
4: Um, It was questioning uh, my beliefs. Uh, I feel like Scott and Ryan came at it from a scientific angle. Uh, Basically, my deconversion was just reading the Bible. And in reading the Bible you know, kind of with an open mind that you could see how it wasn't always aligned with what I was being taught. Unfortunately, within the witnesses, you can't hold a contrary thought even in your mind. It's considered apostasy. And so, when elders found out and started looking at me suspiciously and found out, you know, my beliefs weren't 100% in line, it was, you know, determined that I was A child of Satan—that was actually said on the platform against uh, me—that I was a Judas, and you know that I was an apostate, and so that was kind of my exile from that.
2: What exactly did you you do for them to call you a traitor?
4: What's that? How they call me? No, no,
2: no. I said, what exactly did you do?
4: I shared a I shared a private email with someone within the congregation. expressing my thoughts about something that wasn't totally in line and I was brought back into the back room and asked did I write the email and I had to admit that I did because I wanted to be truthful and honest and then just kind of started the ball rolling with these uh, judicial committees and stuff that they these basically church legal systems they have in place where you go there um, you have At least three men that kind of sit as a judge jury and executioner Uh, you're not allowed to have any kind of witnesses there any kind of defense it's just you and you know they basically had asked do you believe this and i said no i did not believe this and so it was pretty cut and dry they couldn't remain within that
2: that religion anymore what did you write in the email
4: uh, it's kind of like technical and niche and stuff like that, and I don't know, it's just kind of like a, a little Jehovah's Witness thing, but basically, uh, the Jehovah's Witness doctrine, they preach that the United Nations was the wild beast of revelation,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and churches that supported the United Nations was the harlot on that wild beast, but what I had found out was that while the Watchtower was pointing their finger and condemning other religions, doing this, that they had secretly maintained a relationship with the United Nations Department of Public Information and, and actively supported uh, it through their literature. So it was, you know, like I said, it's kind of technical niche from that doctrine, but I saw it as an act of hypocrisy mm-hmm. and one that I couldn't swear, and that was just kind of the initial thing that sparked me to start thinking. and. I had made the mistake, or maybe it wasn't a mistake, because it got me out, but I had shared shared what I had found about that relationship with someone else in the congregation.
2: And they told on you?
4: Yes. (laughs) Basically. So, yeah. Wow. But that's just kind of how it is. You can't share private beliefs with others. You can't share private doubts with others unless you know
3: they won't narc you out to the congregation, but... And it's hard to know if they will or not. Mm. It's a really strange, gray area to navigate whether or not someone is a safe person to talk to about your own questions. And like, I found some information on the internet, and it goes against what they teach. You're like, that person might then go to the leadership, and then you're out. Like the next day, you lose your family. It's like the risk of never talking to your mom again for telling someone you found a piece of information on the internet is, is really, really. Big, it's a really big risk. It's you know, guys crazy said that there's that kind of control.
2: Wow, you guys said something about beards, right? Like, what's the thing about beards and Jehovah's Witnesses?
3: Oh, um, Jehovah's Witnesses have their own version of Jesus who has a beard, and you're not allowed to have a beard. and I don't know why, <laughs> I actually don't know the answer, but Joseph, I, I,
0: I, I know why, you know? I know why. It's the same reason that. Uh, IBM didn't allow beards for their salespeople, or the New York Yankees didn't allow beards for their players. Um, when the Witnesses formalized their, I mean, even the founder of the Witnesses had a beard, um, Charles Taze Russell. Um, but in the in the 1940s and 1950s, they they had this guy Nathan Nor, and he was the president of the Tower Society, and he was the one who actually named the religion the Jehovah's Witnesses, maybe it was Rutherford named them the Jehovah's Witnesses, but Nor basically decided that we need to have, collectively, the Witnesses had to have this sort of image when they went door to door so that people would listen to them at the doors, and they had to be clean cut. Um, and beards were considered, at the time, to be not um, as effective on, on people selling um, they would re- reduce people's trust so they said well we can't have beards and then it became just basically like this weird fetish like i think today if people see somebody at their door with a beard it doesn't matter but that's just been sort of lingering on for 70 years since they they put it in place and that's it's it's uh it's a funny way to, when you see somebody that you used to know as a witness and they have a beard, you immediately know they're not a witness anymore. So it's kind of a fun signifier once we're out. And so like, oh, hey, Bob, you, you got a beard. You must, I can talk to you and you'll actually talk back to me. That's awesome, you know? So that's why we all keep our beards, I think. Oh, wow. It's <laughs> a personal thing about every time I
3: shave, I remember like having to shave and I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you always shave just before the just before you're heading to the Kingdom Hall. Yeah.
2: So what are some other things you have to do besides shave?
0: Buy and wear suits. A lot of suits. Yeah, a really poor fitting suit. I was going to say say the same (laughs) thing. At like five meetings a week, like witnesses don't go to church on Sunday. They go on Sunday, at least when we were growing up Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, and then door to door on Saturday. You almost never go more than like 48 hours without doing a thing and you always got to have your suit and your tie and your beard your face your shaving and yeah it's a it's a commitment mm-hmm.
4: and it's pretty restrictive in that like you're not allowed to get involved over, you can go to public education or you can go to school but you're not allowed to get involved in like extracurricular activities like like what you know, football team or mm-hmm. in the school band or or, like, you know, be in the theater or something like that.
2: You have to stay a virgin?
4: There's a
3: lot of, a lot of restrictions on that.
2: You have to stay a virgin, too?
3: Oh, yeah. Until marriage. Unfortunately. Okay. It's very, very strict. No sex yeah. outside of marriage, period. Yeah,
4: sex outside of marriage is um, is a quick exit. If, if you're not sorry and, you know, and they're not sympathetic, is. Yeah, that's really discouraged. And because of, I think, that culture, you have this weird thing where, like, you see a lot of uh, Jehovah's Witness kids getting married at 20, 21, 22, sometimes earlier than that. Mm -hmm. uh, Because of those restrictions, I think. 19. 19. Yeah. I waited
2: until 20. I think You got married at 19? Yep. You got married at 20?
0: High school is the only way I could have sex.
2: Wow. Was it worth it?
0: Got my kid out of the deal. I think my yeah. son was worth it, yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Me and my wife, we uh you know, we were doing whatever we we're gonna do as a couple in secret, but like yeah, we did get married young as well. I think she just turned nineteen and I was a little bit older. And yeah. The marriage ultimately didn't work out because when we got out of the religion we had you know, options of how we wanted to live our lives, and that we were no longer compatible that way, I think. but I was definitely blessed to have her come with me during that exit experience so I didn't have to do it alone, and, and like Brian, you know, I got a beautiful daughter out of it, so it worked out.
0: But I'm on my third marriage. Wow. Well, so, well, the first one didn't work out because she left the religion, the second one didn't work out because I left the religion, and then the third one worked out because neither of us ever cared about the religion, but time we got together.
2: Wow. <laughs> what about you, Scott? You have been married, too.
3: Um, I narrowly escaped that trap. Uh, I did date a Jehovah's Witness. So I had like a half-in, half-out experience. But I did date my first Jehovah's Witness girlfriend just in my last year of being in the religion. And I sort of had my wake-up, leaving experience when we were dating and kind of early in the dating, like nine months in or something. And I was like, hey, I love you, but this is also going on. And we had this whole like thing. We had to like work through together. And then we decided like, okay, let's let's travel. Let's have a physical journey while we have a deconversion journey. And we went through Central America. We like sold all of our stuff and like just hit the road. And that was a great learning experience. And we by the end of that trip kind of realized that like, oh, we are kind of incompatible now. And because we both want to do completely different things. Like in the religion, maybe it would have worked. But like outside of it, it's like without all the infinite possibilities, um, that just seemed like a, a dividing position. Okay. And I respect her and um, she's doing good. And whatever, that's 10 years ago, 11 years ago.
2: What about now? Yeah.
3: Um, I'm, I've i been going through like a uh, short durations of relationships over the last decade. And there's a couple important ones. And there's one that's starting now. So. I'm happy about that, but it's nothing to do. Actually, that's wrong. She's also an ex-witness. Damn it! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's I connection. didn't even know that. Lady's an ex-witness. <laughs> she got baptized, so she's like uh, connected to it. Her family's in it. When I left the witnesses, I started.
4: When I left, I started hanging out at bars, and I ended up marrying my bartender, which. I'm told you're not supposed to do that. Oh, wow. My dad, my dad didn't tell me that life lesson. But surprisingly, it worked out. Right? Yeah. Uh, but no, it's worked out awesome. She's an artist. She loves traveling around. She loves uh, the off-grid lifestyle. And that's a rarity. So, and it's, it's definitely good. We've been together for
2: 10 years now. Wow. Congrats,
3: man. So you
2: guys all grew up together?
3: I was. Basically, no, we didn't know each other until we were in our 20s, and we all met each other because Ryan made a website about the music scene. I was in, like, the farther orbit in another state, and I heard about this Josephine's music scene, and I was in a, in a band myself, mm. and Anthony had something kind of similar. And right? Anthony mm. was even further out. He was down in St. Louis. And Ryan's based in the East yeah. of Minneapolis, so, like, it's like a middle Great Lakes Midwestern orbit of the music scene kind of coming together.
2: Mm-hmm. But you guys know each other for a good amount of time, I'm guessing.
3: I got to know Ryan during the interview five years ago, for the first time, and Anthony and I just met a couple months ago, working on the film, um, and he's helping out as a co-producer, especially with Kickstarter, helping us get it launched into the world. He had a lot of experience with film, so we're kind of just getting to know each other right now,
0: actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, actually, the the first time Scott and I met, he pointed a camera at me and had me start talking, and it's one of the main threads of the whole documentary. That was literally the first time we ever met. Wow. I'm excited
4: for I you to watch it i so, Ryan back in the day.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: First, the nuclear Gopher, um, music scene. Because me and my wife at the time, we were in a band. We went up and played the show. Um, he and I kind of went our different ways in life, but it's through uh, Scott's documentary that kind of has brought us back to reconnect. And so it's been awesome to kind of reconnect with Ryan uh, to meet Scott and like look forward to beyond this with this underground documentary. You know, what
0: we'll do next.
2: So,
4: speaking
0: of yeah, the, we definitely un- want to get some more creative projects underway.
2: Of course, of course. Speaking of the documentary, if someone wanted to support the documentary and support the Kickstarter, how could they do that? Or where so can right they go?
3: There's a live Kickstarter, and our website redirects to it it's it's witnessunderground.com and that website will be live forever and right now is the first time the film has been available so you, so once we if we hit our number you'll get charged if you support the project then you can download the film so and there's not just the film what's cool is like all the music from the nuclear communities available 12 albums all the music from the people that left the religion and made even more music there's I think, 16 albums and then there's Beyond the project, the Witness Underground podcast, um, their music and albums and vinyl and multiple CDs um, are available as well, including nine books and like there's and there's so much more than that. I don't know if I, that's selling it, but like this isn't just a film; it's like a whole community, a global community of musicians and artists. And we've put like five years of effort into the film and this campaign. This is everything we've ever dreamed of to put into um, to make available with the movie. Is, is now available and some of it for the first time ever and it's available right now so you go to the kickstarter and, and actually just we have to actually wrap up to put hard out at in a minute here but there's 44 people to go and if we get 44 people more people to back the project at any level it unlocks a sponsor's grant of five thousand dollars like huge for us we can fund our whole kickstarter today if anyone's seeing this and is interested in getting a hold of like today's a really special day but we're going for two more weeks in the campaign Okay. Just refresh the page, Scott, and it's forty-three people to go. Yes, we'll do it. We'll get there with your help. Thank you, um, Rickard, for having us on.
2: Yeah, yeah. And tell them one uh, last time you. before you guys go where to find it at.
3: Witness, Witness Underground. WitnessUnderground.com. Witness
2: okay, okay. Do you guys still pray? Or no, not really.
3: Right.
2: Yeah. To who? I don't know. I'm asking.
4: <laughs> I pray. <laughs> okay so who do you yeah, pray to I, Anthony I don't know I don't know I feel like there's there's some kind of force out there uh, you know maybe not in a God sense of way but
2: you know so go ahead Anthony out there. so it's close awesome. us out with a prayer Anthony go ahead
4: what Well you want us to close us out
2: with a prayer yeah go ahead I want
4: to be thankful today because You know, this documentary is powerful, it's important, Uh, it's filled a wound in my life that I didn't even know I had, so I'm thankful to reconnect with Ryan, I'm thankful to work with Scott, I'm thankful for you, and what you're doing, and having us on these shows, and getting the word out about what people are doing, so I'm just going to ask that, you know, we go on keeping on, we build, we progress, we do awesome things, we collaborate, and we just shine brightly.
2: So, that's my prayer. Amen, amen, amen.
4: Amen.
2: Thank you, gentlemen. Take care.
4: Thanks a lot, buddy. Take care. Thank you. It. This is wonderful. <laughs> it's the
1: real world. It's the real world. It's the real world.